Let's just take a moment. And we acknowledge. Lord, your beauty, your majesty, your kingship, all honor and glory and praise be unto you, our God, our King, who is holy and worthy. Lord, as we confess our worship, our praise, let it just not be empty sounds coming out of our mouths, God. But that we are responding to who you are. There is no one greater than you. You are the greatest. Jesus. King Jesus. Let every knee bow before you. Every tongue confess. You are Lord. From generation to generation. You deserve all the honor, the glory, and praise forevermore. Lord, we come humbly before you. Give us hearts to receive your word. Ears to listen, God. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate your word to us today, that we can understand your truth and respond to it, God, in a way that honors you. So, Lord, speak to us. And we thank you again for your grace and your presence in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to everyone tuning in online as well. I hear some of you who are sick and cannot be with us physically, and we pray that uh, you recover sooner rather than later. I feel like uh, we were sick as a family a couple of weeks ago, and I feel like it was harder to recover after not being sick last year because we had been socially distancing from everyone, and so we didn't really catch many viruses, and I felt like I forgot what it was like to be sick. And um, I truly thank God for medicine, and but also for His grace that... Um, you know, uh, that, that we could really recover from these viruses, uh, the, like such as the common cold, of course. So we really pray that some of you will get well soon. And um, I just want to welcome those of you who perhaps have come here for the first time. My name is Ruth, and I, um, I'm excited to share the Word of God today. Maybe somebody has dragged you to church today, and I just want to welcome you. And uh, we have been studying the book of John together as a church. Uh, today, we will be looking at chapter 5. But before I begin... 
I just like to revisit for a moment what uh, John said about his purpose in writing this book and therefore why we are studying this book together as a church. John clearly states his purpose in chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. He said, now Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Three reasons for why this book was written are mentioned here. Number one, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that means that all the prophecies in the Old Testament about God's big plan of redemption and His reconciliation with His creation are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not only is Jesus the Christ, but He is the Son of of God. That means he's co-eternal. He is equal in deity with God the Father. Jesus has always been and will always be. He was not created like we were. He entered into human history at one point, but he doesn't exist like us as humans. Jesus was not a created being like you and I. You see, he's not just some moral teacher. He is God. He has no beginning and he has no end. And so we are studying this book and seeing how Jesus reveals himself as the Son of God. In fact, that's something we will be focusing on today. And number three, that by believing, we may have life in his name. You see, in other words, that uh, union with Christ is where true life is found. We were made by God for God. We were not made by our spouse for our spouse. We were not made by our children for our children. We were not made by our work for our work. And that's why all these things will never fulfill us. We were made by God for God. And that is the reason why life in Christ Union with Jesus is the only way to fully experience the life that God has designed. You know, even though I grew up at church and I attended church every Sunday, following Jesus and entering into this life that he has promised had to be my personal decision. But can I say that I am grateful for my parents and for the people that, the Christians that I had watched in my life that showed me what it was like to live for Jesus wholeheartedly. 
that showed me what it was like that to live is Christ. I believe that's what the next generation needs. They need to see Christians who are not just thinking that Jesus is important, but then he's attached to everything else in their life, but the next generation needs Christians who are captivated by the majesty, by the glory, by the beauty of Jesus, that they would revolve their lives around Him and His mission. You see, many Christians perhaps believe that Jesus is important enough that you would book a seat nowadays, because we have to book, to a, to a worship service. Perhaps he's important enough that we would make time to go to a life group or to attend our usual life group um, gatherings. But some of us don't believe he's important enough that we would center our whole lives on him and his mission. But you see, the Bible does not speak of Jesus as being an add-on to our lives. It speaks of Jesus as life. The Bible does not say that life is found in knowing Jesus and making a lot of money. Or knowing Jesus and accomplishing many things in your life. Or knowing Jesus and being really famous. The Bible says nothing of that. Jesus is not just one component of our lives. He is is life itself. You see, no one will truly experience this true life by treating Jesus as an option, by treating his word as a suggestion. Jesus is not an option. He claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. So, Here is the invitation that is happening in the book of John. And I thought I'd open with this before we get into our text. This is actually a quote by Frederick Brunner. And he says, Come unto union with the word who made you, and you will come to life. You came from him. Please come back to him. You were made for him. The result of this reunion will be more than human existence. It will be human life. Like this is the invitation for you and I today. This is the invitation. If you've never been to church before, if this is your first time, or perhaps you've been attending once or twice, this is the invitation for you as well. Not just human existence, not just surviving this life with all its challenges and all its troubles. This is an invitation to true life in the midst of the challenges we face in this world. And today we are looking at John chapter 5 verses 1 to 18. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to John 5 verse 1 to 18. We're going to look at the story of the healing at the pool on the Sabbath, it says in the ESV. 
it reads this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going another steps down before me, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is that man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God, his own father, making himself equal with God. If we follow the narrative so far in the Gospel of John, if you've been tracking with us in our study, we see Jesus engaging across social, the social spectrum. In chapter 3, we see an interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, who is an, a religious elite. He had political influence and power. And then Jesus calls him to surrender to his authority as the Son of God because you cannot earn your salvation by human effort. Salvation is given freely by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. And then from Nicodemus, we see this invitation, the same invitation being made to a lowly Samaritan woman who could not be more different to Nicodemus. But you see, despite their differences on a superficial level, they had one thing in common. They had a spiritual hunger. And that is, and what they needed is what Jesus had been offering. Then 
a couple of weeks ago, we went to the latter half of John chapter 4, and we get to this story where Jesus meets a royal official, and this royal official asks him desperately to heal his son. And again, Jesus gives this invitation into the new life to this royal official who has wealth and power in this world. And now we land here at chapter 5, where Jesus extends the same invitation to an invalid man of 38 years. You see, one of the things that we observe in the story, the first thing is when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, the first place he goes to visit is this place where all the sick have gathered. I don't know about you, but after lockdown, I am dying to travel. Uh, I used to love traveling and um, as a family. And one of the things that I really cannot wait to do again is go out and travel. But you know what's on my travel list? The moment I go to travel somewhere, I bet you the first thing on my list would be, I want to go here because it's awesome. I want to go here, try this because the food is good. I want. We go to the places where we think are awesome, where we think are worth visiting. Jesus, when he arrives at Jerusalem, the first place he goes to is the colonnades where the blind, the lame, and the diseased were. And there was a particular pool. In fact, historically, it was actually two pools that were surrounded by colonnades called Bethesda, where the sick were hoping to find healing. Can you imagine the desperation in that place, the hopelessness, the brokenness? They believed that an angel would at at times come to stir up the water. And whenever that happened, the person who would step into that water would be cured. Now, we don't know whether or not that's true, but it must have had some kind of weight to it that the sick did gather there for some reason. And John, the author, describes the condition of these people as invalids, these people who had been made weak or disabled because of their illness or injury. And then John spells out their disability by using words like lame, blind, paralyzed, this picture of utter helplessness. People who don't have the strength to help themselves. Brokenness. These were the people that society had overlooked and even avoided. They had nothing to contribute in man's eyes. And therefore, in man's eyes, they didn't matter. In fact, in verse 7, we know that nobody cared enough for this invalid man, for this invalid man that no one had tried to put him in the pool for 38 years. He was left in his desperation and brokenness. Nobody cared. They didn't matter. He didn't matter to them. But in the upside down kingdom of God, where the definition of power is very different to how the world defines power, these people matter. They matter. And the first place Jesus goes to in Jerusalem is them. He visits them. 
You see, notice how Nicodemus, the royal official, both of them had earthly power, influence and wealth. These are the people that society deemed as important. And yet they came to Jesus in a moment of desperation. And yet the Samaritan woman and this invalid man who were helpless, who were desperate and couldn't do anything about it, Jesus came to them. Jesus came to them. All four of them were given the same invitation of a new life. All four of them were offered the free gift of salvation. You see, the way God sees weakness is very different to the way we see weakness. You know, every one of us want to be part of God's story when it involves miracles and healings and, and, and prosperity. And that's all good. And that's really part of the, prom, of the promises of God. But you see, none of us want to be part of the storyline where we play the role of the weak one. Where we play the role of the broken one. Where we play the role of the desperate one who needs Jesus. Nobody wants that to be part of the main storyline of our lives. We want to go from success to success, from strength to strength. And we want to live happily ever after, which we will. But you see, part of that experience with God and experiencing this new life, we've got to realize that we are weak we are broken. We are in need of Jesus. Throughout the Bible, we see something completely different. Time and time again, we read narratives of God working in history and working in people's lives by bringing triumph through weakness. Samson, who was a judge of the Israelites, and you can read his story in Judges 13 and to 16. He was a man that God gave physical strength to, like superhuman physical strength, okay? But he was also, to put lightly, emotionally immature. And he was captured, he was blinded, he was imprisoned because of his weakness and his foolishness. Like this guy made some bad decisions. And the truth is, he kept on making bad decisions. But you see, it was in that moment of his utter weakness that his faith actually matured. And it was when he was weak that he was able to finally find true strength to accomplish the things that God had promised to accomplish the things that God had called him to do, and that was defeat the enemy. Most of us would be familiar with the story of David and Goliath. David was not a good soldier. In fact, he was not even a soldier at all. He was a young boy and he was too uh, young to fight in the army. But the story goes that he won because, not in spite because of his smallness and weakness, God had caused strength to come from his weakness in order to conquer the giant. 
If we look in Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 8, this is what God said when he called the people of Israel. Often when we feel called by God, there is an insecurity that, that, that comes where we think, wow, the challenges ahead are great and I'm only this and maybe God chose me because I can do this or I'm good at that. Perhaps that's crossed our minds. But this is God explaining the reason why he chose the nation of Israel. It says, for you are a people of uh, people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord had set his love on and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Here God is telling the nation of Israel that I chose you because you're small. I chose you because you're powerless. Not only does he initially choose this small, powerless nation of slaves to bring about his plan of redemption and salvation to the world, but we see in the Bible that he repeatedly brings strength out of their weakness, as we have seen in the lives of Samson, Daniel, and many others. The way we see weakness is very different to the way God sees Weakness in God's kingdom, the way to strength is through weakness. I wonder how many of us are afraid to obey what God has called us to do simply because we think we're not good enough. Like, how could I do that? How could I accomplish that? But the truth is, you can't. Without God, you never will be able to do that. And perhaps the reason why he chose you was because of that. Was because you were powerless, because you were weak, because you were broken. We can all have the courage to obey what God has asked us to do. Because God is strong. Because God is wise. And the truth is the way to true strength is by admitting we are weak. And, and not that kind of admitting where we say it, but then we kind of just do our own thing and run our own lives still. But we truly come to the Lord in desperation, in our weakness, in our brokenness, and we admit we are helpless. We are helpless to get out of this situation, to save ourselves from it. We can't do it. The way to true wisdom is admitting you don't know everything. Is to admit that you are foolish. But God, the creator of the universe, wants to give you his wisdom and his strength. Jesus comes to Jerusalem and he goes and picks an invalid man. Someone who is helpless, someone who was rejected by his society. 
and he gives this man his strength. You see, the, uh, a detail that we can't overlook is that this man had been invalid for 38 years. That's a long time to wait on the Lord. 38 years. For those of you who know uh, Edwin and my journey, we've shared this with some of you with our life group. We've been praying and asking the Lord to give us a bigger home for our growing family. Now, maybe some of you have visited our very small one-bedroom apartment. And as you know, now as a family of four, we can't really fit comfortably in that. And we were praying for a couple of years. Now that God has answered our prayer, we know that we were waiting for a couple of years. But let me tell you, there were times where I grew impatient. Just waiting on God for a couple of years, I did grow impatient. And in my impatience, I did make some bad decisions. I admit that. I made some bad decisions. This man, 38 years of praying, of wanting to be healed, he was stuck, helpless, before breakthrough came. But he kept expecting the Lord to come. 38 years. You see, when we see the story of the royal official and this invalid man, again, on a very human level, they seem very, very different. But one commonality they did have is they both were powerless. You see, maybe the royal official had some power and authority, but it was limited because he couldn't heal his son. This invalid man was powerless. He couldn't get into the water for his healing. Powerlessness is a universal human experience. And I think 2020 has really drilled that in us, probably more than we'd like. You know, a recent example that had to do with my impatience and the bad decisions that I made during that, something happened where I had found myself in a very powerless situation. And there was something that I learned about myself. When I get in a powerless situation, I get angry. I don't know about you, but when I feel powerless and I feel like things are just simply out of my control, one thing that, that came out was anger. I started to get angry. And then I started to react by trying to control the things around me. And in fact, in doing that, I made it worse. I made it worse. Instead of resting in the one who has all the power, instead of resting on the one who is able, instead of resting in the Son of God who has given his life for me to share in, who is sovereign over everything, I put all the weight on me. And I kept striving forward with as much strength as I could. I tried to muster every strength that I could to just keep going. But you know what happened? You know what suffered the most? My relationships. And I'm grateful to the grace of God for his reconciliation and grace in the relationships that I have. But it suffered. In a moment of feeling powerlessness, 
I decided to act on anger. And I decided to try and control everything. You see, that royal official, even though he had worldly power and authority, it was when he was most desperate. It was when he was most powerless, most needy, that he experienced the greatest power. We are not to come to God in our strength. Sometimes I think about what I did and come to God with my strength and I can take care of it. And I'm thinking how insulting that would have been to God, who is almighty. We are not to come to God in our strength. We are to come to God for our strength. You at your most needy, your most desperate, your most powerless, that's when you are the most powerful in Christ. When we have given up all human effort, when we say, okay, you surrender, given up, that's when we will see the hand of God in our lives. You see, desperation and helplessness has its pluses in a way because sometimes when we think we have power, we have opportunities to be able to control certain, certain situations. Our first response would be to do that, to exercise whatever power and authority we have, to exercise whatever ability that we have. And often we find ourselves in a worse mess than what we originally were in. But if we would humble ourselves and come to God desperately in that time of need, He will give us His strength. So the invitation for us is to trust in the only one who will never be without power. He'll never run out of power. He will always be powerful. The invitation is for us to rest in the Son of God. We see the greatest demonstration of God's power in weakness, in desperation, in brokenness. We have to remember that because when we're feeling that, it's so natural for us to overcompensate. Like when we fail in one thing, we try to excel in something else to cover up that failure. To make us feel better about ourselves. Because we don't like to confront that brokenness. We don't like to confront the weaknesses that we have. And so we try to cover it up and to, to excel in things and we boast about things or we try to prove to others that we're not really all that weak. In verse 13, it says that the man who had been healed did not know who it was that, um, that healed him. And afterward, Jesus had found him in the temple. And he says, go and sin no more so that nothing worse will happen to you. Now, here, Jesus is making a connection between sin and sickness. Now, this is a, a connection that we should not easily make when we see others sick. Later in chapter 9, Jesus clearly makes the point when we visit that, we will see that there would be a sick man that he and his disciples meet. And the disciples ask, is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, no, 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 it's not because of sin, but so that the glory of God may be revealed through this, this man. 
So there are instances where sin, uh, our sickness is not attached to any sin. But in this particular one, something in this man's life was sinful. And it was connected to him being invalid for 38 years. And after healing the man physically, Jesus goes and finds him in the temple because the healing wasn't complete. This man also needed to be healed spiritually. He needed to be forgiven. And so Jesus heals him and then warns him, go sin no more. You see, we see instances of this in Psalm 32, verse 3 to 5. It says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. A comment made by John Piper is none of these physical miracles that Jesus does is an end of itself. You see, what he's really desiring to do is bring us spiritual healing. They all point to something more about him, about the kingdom of God and about the spiritual and the moral transformations that God is working in our lives. He healed this man for the sake of his holiness. You see, there are times where we can appreciate the authority of God when it comes to God changing our circumstances, when it comes to God giving us physical healing, when it comes to God blessing us in certain areas or, or giving us provision. But when it comes to God dealing with sin, often we reject His authority there. Often we reject His, his spiritual healing. You know, this story, this invalid man after 38 years, he's able to walk instantaneously after one encounter with Jesus. That's amazing. And yet the story takes this weird turn because it says that Jesus was then persecuted for this demonstration of love and grace toward this man. Why? Because he was healing this man on the day of the Sabbath. You know, there will be times when Jesus' authority will confront and challenge some strongly held beliefs and habits in our lives. In this passage, that strongly held belief was the, the Sabbath. You see, these Jews, these Jewish leaders had held on tightly to the law of the Sabbath, so much so that they could not see the goodness that was happening around them. And Jesus in His authority as the Son of God, the author of the law, He challenged it. And He was met with hostility. Jesus is God. His commands are not just suggestions. 
His Word are not just suggestions. They are commands. And they are commands that we may experience true life. You know, we may not have strong beliefs about the Sabbath, but ultimately we will be confronted by His authority around issues of holiness, around issues of our marriage, around issues of sexuality. And He is going to confront us. You see, you are not worshipping God if the God you worship agrees with you. Because if God agrees with everything that you do and everything that you, you, all the decisions that you make, He's not God, you are God. And so as you follow Jesus, there will be times when His Word will confront and challenge your strongly held belief or habit. And in that time, it's your decision whether or not to submit to His authority, take Him at His Word, receive that healing and correction, that renewal, or to say, not this one. I'm just going to follow my preference. I'm all right. I'm all right. I don't need it. I'll just go with whatever I think is best for me. There are going to be things that Jesus asks us to step into. Perhaps He's already asked that of you now that you're not comfortable with, but because He knows what is better for us far more than we do. And every time we are confronted with His authority in challenging us, we either choose life or simply choose to exist. You see, a lot of us want Jesus to deal with the consequences of our sin. Fix the circumstance, fix this relationship, fix this. But he does, we don't want Him to deal with our sin. We don't want Him to heal. And we think we're going to be in a bigger mess if we allow that to be dealt with. But Jesus' desire is to bring renewal, redemption, and give you life and freedom. Would you take Him at His word? The question is, do you want to be healed? Will you submit to His authority and let Him bring new life and healing? Jesus also claims to be equal with God. Will you take God at His word? It's obedience or disobedience. It's simple, but I realize it's not easy. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we head into a time of worship again. But can I encourage you if Jesus is pointing a finger, if His Word is confronting, if His authority is confronting a certain area you're not comfortable with, can I encourage you to take Him at His Word? You can trust Him. For He so loved the world that He gave. And He didn't give a second best. He gave us His one and only Son. 
And the heart of God is to save, not to condemn. For this world is already condemned, but he sent his son to save. And he's already demonstrated his love for us by choosing to die, even at our worst. You don't have to hide it. If there is a brokenness that you are experiencing, you don't have to cover it up. If God is pointing a finger on you to deal with it, trust Him. Take Him at His word and receive that healing that He has promised. For the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is the word of God. Lord, we thank You for Your word today. We ask that You would give us the faith to respond to Your word to receive your healing, God, to receive your grace. Help us to humble ourselves before you and bear all in our desperation, in our brokenness, in our need. Give us the faith to trust you more. In Jesus' name we pray.